PGA Nation, we are back. We have a big week, and I know you gotta have you gotta have some patience because it's hard not to look ahead to next week to the Masters. I know it's hard, but we still have another big tournament ahead of us, right? You gotta fill your tanks at the Valero Open. It's not <laughs> the only thing <laughs> because Valero yes. and then. That was fantastic. I'm sorry I even interrupted. Uh, carry on. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and you would think, like, oh, the only thing that happens in San Antonio are the Spurs, but you're wrong. This, this golf tournament happens in San Antonio. So there's two things that happen there. And there's, there's only two. There's nothing else. <laughs> but we got this golf tournament, and it's going to be a fun one. We got a full field. Um, I would say it is a bit of a JV event. So we have a couple of the big names up top. From my first glance, the, they priced it really well. I mean, if you want to get some of the top guys, you're going to have to pay up for them. It's to get balanced, you know, to find or fill out your roster. You're going to have to stoop down to some guys you're going to feel uncomfortable with. So, you know, I, and you'll notice between this week and next, I much prefer major pricing, right? I think it's a much better way for me in DFS to build a roster when, you know, guys like Paul Casey are in the 7K range right now. You look at the 7K range. Yeah, I don't, you're not even. I think Jonathan Vegas is even in the mid AK range, so it's just a different type of tournament, and that is a lot of how you have to think about this week and game theory and how you're going to build your roster is going to be really, really important. But before we dive into all the details, Spencer, how are you doing tonight? I am doing well. First of all, uh, I was talking to Jason Mizrahi, who's the owner of Win Daily, and Sia. He told me he's counting your money already from the bet you two made, where you took the Texans to get more wins this year than the Lions. First of all, I know this is a golf show, but care to explain your reasoning for how Davis Mills gets more than two wins this year? So this is classic Jason, who like kind of leaves out a few details. First of all, I will say this. The the bet, while the terms of the bet weren't really uh, told to you in the correct manner, I do like Davis Mills as a quarterback. And I think Houston didn't trade for Baker Mayfield with the Watson trade because they think Davis Mills is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. So that was the premise I was operating off of. But Jason and I, of course, were on SiriusXM like we are every Saturday night. And Jason, of course, um, when Daily Sports Show is on with Tony Cotillo on Sunday nights as well, 9 to 11. And we were talking about the worst odds, like the worst teams in each division, which team do we like best if you keep their odds in mind? And Jason went with the Lions, I think at plus 1,100. And I went with the Texans at plus 2,200 because I think there are, are some flaws in that division. I think plus 2,200, it's not going to happen, of course, but I would prefer to take that over the, the Lions play. And he, the bet he made with me was I get a game. I get plus one. Lions versus the Texans. I think it'll be. I, I don't. I don't think it's a runaway. I think the AFC South, where the Texans reside, it, you know, has some issues, particularly with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think Davis Mills is a decent quarterback. I think they both win somewhere between four and five games. And if that's the case, I'm likely winning or pushing. I like Davis Mills a little bit also as a quarterback, and I really like Nico Collins, especially if they can get a number one wide receiver. I think he's more of a two probably in the NFL, but I don't know. Just just wanted to bring that up. I, I heard some rumblings of that wager. Yeah, well, it's always NFL season, so there's always NFL wagers at Wind Daily Sports. Go ahead, Joel. I'm going to be honest with you. There's not much I like about either of those teams. <laughs> right. <laughs> Neither one of them I'm really excited about, but I like. I, I'll take the game with two bad teams. I'll take the one-game advantage. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's what we got. First bet of the night, right? NFL, of course. But there's going to be some more bets. Anything, any other matchups you guys like? We kind of got matchuped out last night. 
Uh, Spencer had some oh, last week. Sorry, uh, Spencer had some fun rolling over Connors and got he got on a bit of a heater. Obviously, he got pretty exciting. So, Spencer, tell us about that. Yeah, so I was talking about it on the Better Golf podcast, and like even this week when Nick and I discussed it. I think bracket style tournaments are more conducive to be played in a rollover fashion than anything else. Uh, the sports books are never going to give you proper odds at the very start of the week on an outright wager. So it kind of worked out perfectly for me on a Connor's wager where I was able to get him on the first match against Paul Casey, who played two holes and ends up pulling out of the tournament. Um, I took all that money, rolled it over against Ustase and won that, took all of that, rolled it over against Norin and it got to this point where even if you look at the sweet 16 matchup he plays Kanaya who is probably the one of the weaker players in the tournament of the entire field and probably the weakest person him or Richard Bland that advanced and I put myself in a situation there where I was still able to get it up to over seven units once that bet hit put all of that against him on answer and and the positive thing about a rollover is you can stop at any moment like you can be as aggressive as you want. It's not an outright where you have, I mean, you can cash out, but they're never going to give you a proper price there on a rollover. You can take the money off the table at any point. So I put it on him against answer. It got up to 14.79 units. I was having a little bit of a bad week on the in-tournament betting front. So I was down about 4.75 units, took all that money off the table. So I was a little over 10 units that I was still, I guess, in the green with, if you want to talk about it, that it, I was free rolling with at that point. Put it against Kisner. Unfortunately, that bet didn't come through, but I was trying to run it up in the fashion to have 50-plus units of a win, and I, I think I got a little unlucky. I know a lot of people liked Kisner in that matchup. My numbers loved Connors there. I, it's unfortunate that Kisner seemed to make every single putt, but I would do it again. I would play it as aggressively again with it, and it's just something to keep in mind. Like Whether it's March Madness, a tennis bracket, uh, obviously in golf it only happens once a year, but... Keep it in mind anytime you have a bracket style contest that rolling over the bet is almost always going to be better than betting an outright on it. And I love that you were able to cash out, make sure you at least, you know, didn't lose for the week. You made the right, obviously it proved to be the right play, right? So you gave yourself a win. Uh, I, I funny one. It's always hindsight 2020 with these things. I saw something on Twitter this week about how what you could have won if you did this with St. Peter's money line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, well, if you were smart enough to do it, you would have won this if you stopped before the Carolina game was like, yeah, but then you <laughs> the Carolina game and you would have lost. So you wouldn't have gotten there. So it's funny. Like, yeah, well, hindsight 2020, I would have known to stop at the Carolina game and I would have won. It's like, okay. Uh, but that's the well, positive thing about it, Joel, is that you don't even have to fully take it all off the table. Like I had some people that, it sent me a message on Twitter before the Kisner matchup. And they were like, I have to pull everything off. This isn't, um, you know, it's just too much money at this point. And that's fine. If that's the way that you want to play it, that's completely acceptable. If you want to take a little bit off, you can go in that route. You could go half and half. The route I took is I got myself even for the week on it, but there's just so many options that come into play when you do it. And uh, that's why I love that tournament. It's the second time now that I have rolled it over in a fashion to where I almost have won a ton of money with it. Uh, the other one, unfortunately, was 2018 when Alex Noren lost to Kevin Kisner. Kevin Kisner seems to be my kryptonite on this, but uh, I rolled it over a little bit last year. I didn't do it in quite the ideal fashion, but I had Billy Horschel. Won about 15 units in the way that I did it there. So it's a really fun tournament. I know one of these years I'm going to break it open for 
a very big win. It's just a matter of time at this point. It's not when it's going to be, you know, like, or not if it's going to be when it happens. Well, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but for Kisner, um, it's actually not just a hobby for him. So I'm not <laughs> something you've ever heard. <laughs> anyway, see, how did you do? How'd you do last week? I did okay. I mean, our, our squad did okay, which of course I did submit in DraftKings because we had Scotty Scheffler. Thanks to you, Joel. But I got to be honest, it was overall a losing week because most of my DraftKings teams, they, well, first of all, almost I think every single one had Maverick McNeely, which ended up being a good play, even though he yeah. got bounced in the first round. He really should have advanced. It was, uh, uh, you know, a, a a couple things that went against him, but he had two and a half points, didn't advance to the next stage. But I had Xander pretty much everywhere. Again, if you guys recall last week, that was my that was our win daily first round pick because I, I deemed it the path of least resistance. Problem is Xander, Xander. And, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. You know, I, I probably shouldn't have, you know, basically lock buttoned him, but I did. But the good news about that tournament was if you had a couple of guys that, that made it pretty far, you were basically cashing because it's such a hard tournament to predict, but I got to be honest, I'm, I'm super happy that the Valero and then now the masters are coming because stroke play is, is definitely where it's more fruitful for me. And, and yeah. just to uh, throw it out there, Maverick McNeely, we were talking about it a little bit. Maverick McNeely scored more points than Terrell Hatton did. He scored more points than Billy Horschel. So in a losing effort or not advancing out of his group, he actually had a better week than most. And I, uh, I mean, as we all know, I, I was on the Rotoballer team, but I, I'm a win daily guy. So we won last week, you guys. We did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, the reality is we, we kind of had to put you on that team. I know you do work for Rotoballer as well, but you know, we're only doing that for the show. Like you are, to us at least, you're win daily 90% and you're everything else 10% as far as we're concerned. Well, I appreciate that. Just uh, you guys, you know, what's interesting about it is uh, your guys' lineup and our lineup both cashed last week. So that's a positive. I mean, yeah. that's, it's a good thing. And we got three of the six people uh, out of their group. I would have really liked Brooks Kepka. I think that would have been the thing that would have pushed us over the top on it. But I believe you guys got one out of the group, but with it being Scotty Scheffler and with Maverick yeah. McNeely scoring more points and even Taylor Gooch, scoring about as many points like it's an interesting tournament it's yeah. something to keep in mind next year with it that if there's a group that you don't love you can kind of go to the bottom of it and take a Richard Bland and hope to get lucky and win a couple matches because the discrepancy in scoring isn't as much as you would think with it right exactly we have a uh we have Steven in here who of course is going to have our ownership article among other things tomorrow night at windylysports.com but he is a little jilted because he was pleading, scratching and clawing last week to get Scotty Scheffler as the audience pick. They didn't, and it prompted Team Win Daily, otherwise known as Joel in this case, to scoop up uh, Scotty Scheffler. So he's still mad. It's seven days later, but you know what? I get it. I totally get it. Steven then, was all over that also in the text messages that we all send together, like on Tuesday was. night or whatever that was. That was his guy. He kept banging the drum, and yeah. he was he was right like he normally is, frankly. The last thing I want to touch on with this, Tony, before we move on to this week, what did you guys think about the whole weird Paul Casey? Like, he never really played, and then, like, the guys he was playing got the auto waves. I thought it was Pugazi, and I think it was – there's got to be a better way to police that on the tour, but what, what were your take on that? Well, the problem is there isn't a better way to police it. Because you would have to rely on a single person self-reporting. And it's just like, that's not, you know, in football, 
you usually can kind of see an injury, a guy limping off the field, and then the week goes by and you have an injury report, questionable, whatever. You know, you have certain tags that like are are not obvious, but like they have, you know, that there's there's a priority to put those injury reports out by the team, not not the player himself. And so in golf, you don't really have that. And so it's it's kind of a problem that I'm not 100% sure is solvable. And it's one of those things that, you know, we it, it sucks because you might have a great team, whether it's stroke play or match play, and you wake up on, you know, in that case it was Wednesday morning, but in Thursday morning in every other tournament's case, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm dead. I'm already dead. Mm-hmm. And it's because a guy had a sore neck and he didn't tell anybody. Um, I wish there was some sort of late swap scenario. I think that would probably be the solution, but um, apparently that gets into different aspects that that make DraftKings a little um, squirrely, a little bit more gambling, a little less DFS, allegedly. I, I don't know if this helps the DFS perspective of it any, but like the problem with Casey was he's in a spot where he's just trying to make the money for the tournament. And he just like the best case scenario would be to have an alternate on hand. And if he cannot play, I don't know what the deal would be. He pulls out, the alternate comes in and plays, and maybe there's a way to split that money some way between Casey and whoever that alternate person would have been. That doesn't help DFS with it. I mean, unless the DFS sites would be willing to swap that player in for Paul Casey, which I assume they would not be doing that. But I I don't know. I mean, Casey kind of ruined that whole portion of the bracket there, which it did help me for the very short time period with Corey Connors. It's just... Uh, it's not a good look when there's a guy not playing and everybody's getting free wins. That's the thing. It wasn't just Casey pulling out if he was on your team. It was that he was gifting points to people that you might not have had on your team. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that that it's almost like in the match play context, it's almost like double unfair if you didn't take somebody from that group not named Paul Casey. Um, I but to your point, Spencer, I do think the solution is when in a stroke play tournament too, to have whoever the alternate is, because there's always somebody, you know, waiting to, to, to come in for somebody who WDs uh, immediately before the tournament. That's the guy you get on your DraftKings team. That DraftKings yeah. has the sophistication and, and I guess the legality of it has to be there too. But to, uh, it, to actually just go ahead, whoever the person is, he is on your, and, and I don't think anybody could really object to that because the person swooping into the tournament is not some all-star, obviously. It's theoretically going to be a worse player than you're taking. So you're already downgrading, but at least you have a player that you're going to be able to use. So right. I think that's something that needs to be looked into from DraftKings. But uh, yeah, I agree with what you said, Sia. Well, hold on, hold on. Before I, To have a golf podcast today and not mention an injured, a specific injured golfer who rumored that maybe made a trip today, uh, maybe somewhere in Georgia where there's going to be a big tournament next week. Do you think... The big cat, tease it up at Augusta. Well, Spencer, I'll jump in real quick because, you know, I almost wanted to report this myself, but I, I felt a kind of a responsibility to Nick. But Nick kind of disseminated some information to our Win Daily team way before anybody else yeah. uh, said anything on Twitter. And I believe me, I was monitoring it. When I say way before, I'm talking like 24 to 30 hours before Nick had information that very strongly suggested that this whole thing is, you know, is going to play out like, like we think it is. And the answer is at this point, we have a lot of information that, that would suggest to me that unless there is a setback that Tiger Woods is going to be teeing it up at Augusta. And for the record, pricing is out for the masters already on DraftKings, and he's 8,500. So I don't think anybody's really going to touch that, but, but I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. 
I mean, touch it or maybe lock it in. And touch it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Uh, all right, guys. So let's let's get started. The Valero, this tournament this week, the course breakdown. Spence, what are you looking at on the course this week? Yeah, so TPC San Antonio was designed in 2010 by Greg Norman with some assistance from Sergio Garcia. Anything Garcia is associated with would naturally make you think ball striking will be a critical statistic to dive into for the week. And while you would be correct in that assessment, it's not as if an all-around game won't pay dividends for those that are trying to get prepared for the Masters. The undulation at the property is meant to mimic Augusta National, and we see that come into play with around the green producing 3.2% more impact on scoring than a typical stop on tour. That factor mixed with a 7% decrease in GIR percentage makes the layout one of the more challenging major preps on the schedule. And all of those reasons create this level of trepidation that most players would rather take their chances by going straight to the Masters and putting in work there. Six of the more challenging holes at the course stretch between 410 to 481 yards, causing par four scoring to be a necessity. But there doesn't appear to be a proximity range that is wildly more essential than the next. Every 25-yard bucket from 100 yards and beyond yields over a 10% rate. And we even see a 14.4% distribution from within 100 yards, a total that is 3.9% higher than your average expectancy on tour. I will quickly go through my model this week. I started with weighted tee to green for 30%. That was a split of 23% off the tee, 27% around the green, and 50% approach. That approach number took a redistribution of the specific approach data that I was just mentioning over the past few years and turned it into a course-specific total. I did 10% on recent TPC data. I might have shortchanged that stat marginally since it removed too many TPC properties when I condensed the data, but it works both ways since golfers sometimes get too much importance thrown onto performances from years ago. Moderate to severe wind, 7.5%. I never love going too heavy into weather because it's unquantifiable in some ways, but I figured having a small chunk of weight there was better than ignoring it completely. I did 15% on weighted par four. That took historical trends from 350 to 400 yards and 450 to 500 yards and mixed it together with a slew of information. Not going to go through all of it, but it's a little bogey avoidance, a little birdie or better percentage. There's a lot of things that went into that. Par five birdie or better 15%. The par fives are long and difficult. We have seen historical trends that have pointed towards there being a necessity to produce when you get those four chances. Putting from five to 10 feet, sorry, five to 15 feet for 10%. There's a 4.1% increase from that range over a typical stop. And then I wrapped it up with weighted GIR for 12.5%. I added in a small combination of around the green and weighted proximity to the GIR totals to try and make it more suited for TPC San Antonio. But this is a very difficult course. Like, even if it's not the weather that's going to turn this into madness, we've seen it be calm before. Kevin Na in 2011 carded a 16 on one of the holes. There is chaos that can ensue on this course. So it's a difficult venue. It's not going to be the easiest stop. The undulation is going to help mimic it for some of the players that are playing the Masters. But uh, it's not as easy of a course as you would expect. There it is. That's quite the breakdown. Um you definitely want to have a little bit of an understanding of that before you kind of dive in and start picking your players. Um, go ahead, team. Is there anything you want to add to that? No, but no, it's pretty comprehensive. But I'll tell you this. Are you guys reading the comments? And by the way, audience, I, I put this in the chat, but get ready because you, uh, spoiler alert, you guys are going to have, you guys and ladies perhaps, um, are going to have the first pick. So I'm not saying you should nominate now, but you should probably get ready. Uh, with that said, 
Listen, Spilardi, otherwise known as Steven, otherwise known as Sicily Kid, otherwise known as the most valuable player on the Windaily Sports PGA team. Did you read his comment? So for those of you that don't know, and for those of you that aren't in our Discord, shame on you. But Steven is on site. He, he lives near this course, and he was actually there watching practice rounds today. And he just mentioned something about a certain practice round, and you can take this for what it's worth, of a Rory McElroy that uh, had Steven telling the audience in the comments, yeah, I'm not playing that dude. So you can, again, take it for what it's worth. He was there watching it. Maybe it's just one bad round. Maybe Steven's going to explain himself a little bit more in the Wind Daily Sports Discord which you can go to by going to windailysports.com and signing up for free for a week, or just go ahead and sign up uh, for not just golf, but NBA, MLB, NFL, MMA, NASCAR, you name it. Uh, with all that said, I think that's really interesting because I like Rory this week, and, and now I'm going to have to get into Discord and, and into our, our text thread and uh, try to get an understanding of, of what uh, Steven is talking about there. I just wanted to throw that out there because it, it might end up being important. That's interesting. The highest priced golfer, the highest pedigree in the tournament. Um, and, you know, Rory's been on, on – hasn't been himself. I, I do think more recently he has been pretty overpriced. So, you know, take that, you know, how you will for this week. But here we are. It is time to draft. And for the first time in draft cast history. Mm, wow. The audience will be drafting first. With the first selection, start now. You're on the clock. Get in your nominations. Um, and then on the way back, you'll be picking twice. So let's see who you're going to be get, get taking first overall. Because, of course, C and I and the Wind Daily Squad won last week. So we picked the order. And me, as you know, some people say I'm like Santa, the gift I wanted to give <laughs> to the audience of the first pick. So that's, you know, don't worry about it. Don't thank me. Don't worry about it, guys. That's what I did. So you guys are on the clock. Do we have any nominations? Yeah, we have two nominations. We're waiting on a second for one of them or some new nominations. Uh, we got plenty of people in the chat, uh, but we have nom nominations from Charlie, from Courtney. Uh, Steven, I don't think he's made a nomination. I see Edward in there. Edward, thanks for joining the show and retweeting the show. By the way, if any of you are on Twitter and you haven't already retweeted the show and or hit the like button on YouTube, please go ahead and do that right now if you can. Um, super easy to do, but we, we definitely appreciate the retweet. So some other people can join you guys and, uh, suggest some picks for us. All right. It looks like the pick is in. The pick is in. It is, uh, Centurion eight, who is also in our discord, uh, subscriber. He made Chris Kirk, uh, the guy because Kirk was also nominated by, uh, Charlie. So Chris Kirk is our guy. I like it. It's a good and, pick. And, yeah, I think I think it's a great pick. I mean, the history here is great, but more important, I mean, you know, he's missed some cuts here, but his recent form is so good. I think we're you guys are looking at ownership right now. I'm not. I'm I'm assuming Kirk is going to be very popular somewhere in the top four or five. Can either of you confirm that for me? Right now, my model has him as the most popular pick. Yeah, fair enough. And how do like Joel? How do you respond to that from a GPP standpoint? I, I listen. I like Kirk as a play this week, uh, but as the most popular pick, I went off the Right, fair enough. So we'll have to monitor that again. Stephen will come out with the the more ironclad numbers tomorrow around uh, sometime, usually around six, sometimes before six uh, Eastern Standard Time. That is a really good article, both for his picks and also for. Um, ownership from the top to the bottom okay so who are we on oh it's on me 
oh my gosh, here I am stalling and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm going to just do something just completely different here. Um, I'm, I probably should be looking at the rankings, but I think I know who I'm going to go with. And I, this is sort of how I approach things. I don't necessarily go with the, um, you know, an expensive guy. I'm just going to go with the sneaky guy. You guys know I'm sort of famous in the in Discord, at least, for the secret weapon, who, by the way, two weeks ago, we didn't have one last week, was J.J. Spawn, who a lot of people are starting to talk about, which good for him because they deserve it. But J.J. Spawn is a guy who I like, but my point, I'm not picking him, but he's a guy that's sort of in the low range near this guy that I'm actually going to take. He's not SW qualified but he, because he's 7,100. It's Matthew Naismith. I think he's going to give me a lot of opportunity just to just go to him right off the bat. He's going to give me a lot of opportunity to kind of go upstairs with some expensive guys that I like. But I, I and I don't think anybody was going to take him, by the way, or if, and if they were, it was going to be, you know, three or four rounds from now. I just want to start my team how I want to start my team. I love what he's been doing at, very recently on approach. It's sort of the Matthew Naismith of old where he's really striking the ball well. But if you look at like the last 12 rounds, I mean, last 24 rounds, it's not quite as good. But the recent form is really good on the par fives, on getting the ball in the fairway, which is something he does anyway. The approach, he's top 10. Um, the around the green game is, is, a, is a little finicky. It, it, it's about tour average, or at least uh, in this field, it's average. But the sand saves percentage is actually much better than the, the general around the green percentage. And strokes gain T to green. He's up there. So I just think he's a really sneaky play. Maybe a guy that's going to be featured later on in the show in my outrider first round leader uh, portion. Interesting. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and, and Neesmith is 22nd in my model. I mean, he, he has some ownership around him, but uh, I, I like the Pixia. Thank you. Appreciate it. So we'll see what happens. I, I don't, I, I, I like starting low and because I, I think there's a lot of guys up top that I can potentially lean on. So. Yeah, I, I like the strategy, especially, you know, getting your value early this week because, you know, uh, you can only pick so many guys up top. I do think there's, you know, five to seven guys that I like up top, but you can't mm -hmm. pick them all. So get your value plays early and one of those five to seven you'll get later. Yeah, and for my pick here, my initial thing is I was kind of planning to do the same exact thing where I was going to go with value first, then work my way up on the board. There's not a ton of guys. I mean, I can I can figure it out. I think a lot of them depending on ownership, depending on a couple certain qualities, you can mix and match. I, I think it's very easy to do it near the top, but I am going to change the strategy that I was going to do. So I have told this story before, but one of the things, this was in 2019. It was the first thing in this industry that really got me traction. And it was during this tournament in 2019, uh, Corey Connors, was 250 to one to win this event. And my model had him number one overall. Wow. And I put it out there. I made it a recommendation at Rotoballer in my article to win over 30 units uh, for this. And for me, if you follow my picks at all, I usually bet and recommend to win eight units on things. So this was like four times what I would normally do uh, at, on a 250 to one golfer. Connors goes on and wins the tournament. The rest is history almost replicated that success last week at the match play. We're not going to be able to get those odds again. We're not going to get 250 to one, but I am going to take Corey Connors with my first pick. I think he's underpriced. He's number one in my model in all iterations this week. And I think he's somebody that is just providing a whole bunch of value on the board. So a couple things on Connors that, that I, I think 
are interesting. One is his price. Now he is 9,800. I I found it very interesting that he was less expensive than guys like Abraham Answer, for example. And no disrespect to Abraham Answer, I understand it's home course and and he's been playing okay. Like he hasn't been playing fantastic, like like Corey Connors has. D- don't you guys think that's a like those two probably should have been swapped? Connors is minus 140 at a lot of books against Answer. So just based yeah. off of what you said, I mean, it seems like they are reversed. Yeah, I just found that super puzzling uh, let me ask you this and joel i know you have back-to-back picks coming up let me ask you this the, the pushback on Corey connors and I, I know you i'm not telling you anything you don't know but i just kind of want your reaction is a he played a lot last week now he played one less round than people think because again he was in paul casey's group yeah. so he has that going for him but he certainly played a lot of rounds a lot of holes and then of course he's also in the master's field next week so you, you almost have that well, is it a look-ahead spot? But then also he's he's probably tired from all the rounds he played. Does any of that factor in for you? A little bit so. I mean, it's something I considered. I, I was asked that question yesterday by somebody, and I think it's a very interesting thing to talk about. If we look at him directly with answer, not to keep using that comparison, he played as many rounds as answer did. You know, answer, they played a round before that. He knocked them out there. Answer had to play three complete rounds to get out of his group. I think the look-ahead spot is not something that I'm necessarily worried about. He's a former winner of this tournament. It's his only win that he has on tour. I think this is a big tournament for him. I think it means something when he goes back to the spot. I don't think he's the type of player where he's a top 10 golfer in the world at this point where, you know, the Masters is the be-all, end-all for him. I think this is a big event, and I think it's an event he's going to get up for. And I thought his ball striking looked phenomenal during the match play, so... I think he can keep it rolling. I think he's a little underpriced and yes, he's going to be very popular at 20% give or take, but I can get around that. I think there's enough pivot spots in this tournament where I'm not going to worry about the 20%. I think he's very playable and kind of just go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a bit of a different take. I, I think, you know, I think that, I think he's a little overpriced actually. Now I do like him this week. Um, I do think he's going to do well. I will be playing him, but I do think there's a little bit of an overreaction to his you know current form. He's been playing well, but like, his as a whole as a golfer is not necessarily what you're seeing in this flash of the last couple weeks and like to give your example of answer right what you see from abraham answer is more consistent all year you you know i would i would put money on abraham answer having more top 25 finishes this year than Corey connor's would uh but we're kind of looking at Corey connor's right now who's on a bit of a heater and so people are, are chiding to him so i think abraham answer is a much better golfer than he is and i think that that pricing is correct the only I mean, pushback I, I would throw to that is, and I'm not saying my numbers are correct by any means with it, but this is the third straight year that Corey Connors has been number one in this tournament that I've run it. Um, I, I run a two-year model, so it's not taking the most recent form from it. It's trying to find a course-specific fit for this tournament. Now, I agree with your sentiment, Joel, that answer is a better golfer in a vacuum situation here. I think I that it disagree. It, Just wanted to point that out. I disagree. Sorry to interrupt, but keep going. And you might be correct with that. Also, they're very close though. Like at, at the, at the very minimum with it, I think when you throw them on this specific course, this is the perfect tournament for him there. I don't think there's a better layout for Corey Connors than this layout. And I think that's the value of watching our show, right? Cause I actually, I agree with that. I think the reasons you might take Connors are because of course fit and things like that. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I think that's the edge of doing your research, watching this show and seeing, oh, he's a really good course fit. And even though me personally, you know, everyone has their own opinion. 
I would prefer an Abraham answer to Corey Connors on a neutral field on a given week. But this is the week where you want Corey Connors for course reasons and things like that. And that's why you watch shows, you do your research, and you can make decisions like that. Um, <laughs> so my <laughs> pick, I don't want it to last any longer. I have back-to-back. I'm going to take my first pick. I'm going to go more of the route, kind of like, see, I'm going to start with making a little bit of a budget pick with Pat and Kazire. I oh, like the form nice. he's in. Um, I have trouble finding ways to fill out my six-man squad um, below the you know 8.5 range. Uh, so I want to get my value plays in early, and I know there's a few guys up top that I'd be okay with. So that's where I'm going to make my preference. And the second pick is going to be uh, Kevin Strillman, who's also a little bit higher. I do think he's a little bit overpriced, but I think it's a way where I can build a more rounded-out roster that I'm happy with by taking someone in this price range. He's a guy who has pretty good form and a good course history. He's been playing well over the last two or three tournaments. Um, he's done well here at this specific course. Um, and just to give you guys some numbers, he had sixth in 2019, eighth in 2018. And in the last five tries, he's made the cut every time. So I think he does like it here. You know, how much upside we'll see. Obviously, he can get you that top 10. So that's, uh, that's how I'm going to start off with my first two. Well, the audience is very mad at you. Uh, as as Charlie has illustrated here with the no uh, rolling O's. And, and for the record, I'm not 100% sure this is a pro, but Stephen, who, again, was at the practice round today, will be there tomorrow, will hit us in Discord with weather information, among many other things. Uh, he did mention that, like, listen, Answer has the most supporters there of, of anybody, probably everybody else combined, frankly. So, you know, is that a plus? Probably, but it could also be a negative. So something to consider there. But obviously answer, I guess you could make the argument that if there was a tournament answer like really, really wanted outside of a major, it actually might be this one that he realistically could win. It actually might be this one. So, I mean, again, that that can serve as a, a con, but, you know, maybe a pro in this case. Yeah, I've seen Xander put too much pressure on himself playing Tory Pines before where he wants to go win and, you know, it just doesn't quite necessarily work. So as you said, there's pros and cons to it. It's kind of tough to gauge with it. But I agree with Steven that he's definitely going to have the crowd behind him. Yeah, I mean, the truth is his, his history here hasn't been spectacular. So that that does kind of fade the narrative a little bit of, of, okay, well, he has a lot of support, so he's going to do, he sleeps in his own bed, you know, he travels, you know, by car, I'm sure it takes him 10, 15 minutes. So, you know, that gets dispelled a little bit when you see that his finishing results aren't like fantastic. But listen, answer can easily top 10, top five this tournament. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I guess I will move us forward with my next pick here. Uh, there's two guys I'm deciding between if the other player gets named before I end up getting, he gets back to me, I will say who it was. But I will go with Sahit the Gala, $7,800. When I look at my weighted tee to green numbers, he is ninth in my model when running in that fashion. That's 12 spots better than expectation. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about him. He's a great par five scorer. We know you need to score on par fives here. He's fifth in, or sorry, seventh in par five average, 17th in par five birdie or better percentage. Uh, the scrambling, he's eighth in the field. The bogey avoidance, he's 14th. I think that's going to come into play. We're going to need a better putter from him than we've gotten recently. He's 122nd in my model. That's probably the one concern, but... Good way to GIR numbers. The approach plus around the green game puts him ninth in the field. I just think he's a really good player, really good young player that's going to win at some point. And I think this is a really good course fit for him uh, with him only being $7,800. I think you could make an argument that he could be higher than this. 
I like it. I think it's a great pick. Um, I'll, I'll make mine pretty quick. I think I'm going to go down to the value range again and gamble with some of the guys that, that I may decide to take at the top. This guy, if memory serves, he has no experience on this course. I don't think that's a, a game changer by any means. It's something I would absolutely prefer. But when I look at his this guy's metrics, they really jump off the page. Pretty much, I don't want to say across the board um, because the short game does have some issues, but it's Mito Pereira. I just really love the ball striking. I really love the value at 8,100. I don't know what he should be priced, but I know 8,100 is too low. So I'm taking more value, creating a little bit more leverage for myself uh, with the guys up top, um, some of the heavy hitters that that I'd like to take. So that's where I'm going. And now it is, oh, Jason's in the house. Jason, the, the, the kingpin of windailysports.com. Who am I betting? Well, so Jason, you're going to have to wait till the end of the show because first round leaders and outrights get released at that point. But I, I do have a list of guys that you can put all of your houses on. So no worries there. Um, the audience is now nominating and we already have a couple. No oh, we have. OK, Adam Hadwin is the next guy. And that was a really good pick because that was probably going to be my next pick. Um, Steven has nominated a few guys. We're going to allow him to do that because he's a wind daily guy. We'll, we'll allow that this time. Steven, it's usually one at a time, but Hadwin has already taken Steven. So we have nominations for the second pick for the audience for answer and Walker Hadwin is already on the board. Very popular pick. I guess I should have taken him instead of Mito. Uh, cause I really do. I like Hadwin quite a bit. Uh, we have a second for Jimmy Walker. So speaking of creating some extra dollars, the audience is going with Jimmy Walker, who was both nominated by Stephen and Edward Gale. So that is uh, the two pretty solid picks from the audience. Do you guys have any opinions on either of these guys? I hadn't looked much into Walker. I mean, I'm looking at his course history right now. I see three top 30s in his last four attempts at the tournament. Um, I mean, he wasn't, to be honest, necessarily on my radar this week. Um, Hadwin's going to be a popular play. I think that there's a lot of guys in that low 9000 high $8,000 range that you could consider. Joel named one of them with Strillman. Hadwin's another one. Uh, there, there's a bunch of guys, though, in that range. That's kind of what I was saying at the beginning of the show, is that they're interchangeable in spots with it. And there's a lot of players to consider in that section. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do like Hadwin. I think Hadwin's form, he's been just playing really well. This this is a course at 8,900, I think is a, is a fair price for this tournament. Walker's an interesting one. It's a wild card. Uh, yeah. You know, see how that goes. You know, I think it's definitely risky, but, you know, if he pays off and gets you a top 30 at that price, uh, you, you could be sitting pretty. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, obviously when you're dipping, you know, the, the thing is when you are dipping that low, and this is why I want the audience to really think about their next couple of picks, because you got three picks left. You have created some space for yourself to have Chris Kirk, Adam Hadwin, and maybe another stud on your team, um, depending on how you want to play it. So so start to think of, Joel, how much do they have left? You per, have an average of 8,500 per pick. Which is a pretty good amount considering what you the, the, the studs you have on your team. So just kind of consider, you know, the, the caliber of... Uh, of golfer you want uh, with your next two picks. Okay. So they took Adam Hadwin from me. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in that to be perfectly honest with you. I'm going to take a guy that I don't like quite as much as Adam Hadwin, but I do like, and I, and I really like how the all around game is really coming together for this guy. And what I mean by that is he's pretty much gaining everywhere. He can be sometimes a disaster off the tee. If he pulls out the driver and just sprays it, you know, he probably will pull out the driver a couple times in this tournament. 
you know, the, the, the primary rough isn't super penal. It does become a problem if you're really, really wayward. So that makes me a little nervous. But what I love about Gary Woodland is that the aside from the off the tee game, which can really kind of be missed, sometimes hit, the approach game is really rounding into form. But when I say an all-around guy, I'm speaking to the short game as well. Yeah, of course, there are times where he loses with the putter and he loses around the green. But if you look at him compared to a lot of guys who are just team no putt or just a disaster around the green, as a whole, he does everything pretty well. He can spike with the putter. He's very good around the green compared to a lot of people. And the ball striking has been there as of late. So I understand Gary Woodland is is currently on everybody's radar. Like the secret is out. His game is, is slightly back. But I think in this field, this is maybe a time for him to really kick that approach game in gear like he has recently, gaining 4.49 at the Valspar, only 0.25 at the players. But then before that, 3.86, 2.11. And then he lost strokes on approach and then gained 2.75. So he's really been gaining on approach, let's see, six out of the last seven tournaments. And everything else is, is in pretty good form. So give me Gary Woodland here. I like it. Yeah, I like, the, I like the pick as well. All right, guys. I will make my next pick. Um, I have to be cognizant of what Joel is doing right now. I don't know if this is a player that he would be considering. All I know is that it's a golfer that he's already screwed me on once and took over me. I'm not going to allow that to happen again. Give me KH Lee $7,600. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot I like about KH Lee this week. So my model has him as a positive value in all iterations of how I ran it. He's made 11 straight cuts in a row. Two top 23 finishes at this tournament in his last two tries. And just across the board with the way I run ran my numbers, there's a lot to like about him. There's not really anything that's glaring weakness. Maybe the win play you could point to. He's 70th in my model there, but he's pretty much inside of the top 30 in all other ways that I looked at it this week. So Spencer, quick question on him, because I, I got a question on him, I think on Twitter. And, you know, the, the, the TPC Lee moniker is there for a reason. This is a TPC course. I was a little worried about this. In, in my opinion, this is, you know, it, it's not the second shot golf course, but it is a second shot golf course. And his approach came, and I know it's a small sample size. And I respect the fact that you deal in much bigger sample sizes. I, I think that's a really good way to look at things. But the last five tournaments, for, if memory serves, he's lost on approach over the last five. In, and not in, in, a, in, in a truly egregious way, but not in an insignificant way either. Does that worry you at all? I mean, obviously, if you're just good on this course, I mean, some people are taking Charlie Hoffman, of course, who has been a disaster lately, but is obviously great on this course. I get the course history thing, but I'm just curious, does the approach game as of late worry you at all? If he relied specifically on the approach game, if that was something that was like his go-to statistic, which it's not, maybe so, because I think there might be a little bit more to be said. He's not the greatest iron player in the world to begin with. Yes, he is yeah. 33 spots worse over the last 24 rounds than the two-year model that I run. That has to mean something. You don't want to be taking guys that are over, you know, outside the top 100 when it comes to any particular statistic with it. But I don't know. I think he's such a good around the green player. And I think he has a lot going for him. He's great off the tee approach game is never going to be what wins him tournaments. And if he does happen to give you some sort of an iron performance that you're not expecting, that's where the upside really can come into play with it. So if it's not his number one quality that he needs, I'm a little bit less concerned based off of that. Gotcha. Fair enough. All right, Joel, you've got back-to-back -back picks. 
I don't know this is make you happy or not, but I was going to take him. So that does make me. (laughs) (laughs) You made the right pick. Um, So I'm going to have to pivot. I'm going to redo some things, but my pick is going to be Hideki Matsuyama. Um, I think that he is the best golfer in this field. Um, His ball striking, you know, I think is head and shoulders above the entire field. I think if he has a week where he putts well, he should win this tournament. Um, the my small concern for him is that it does maybe feel like he might be looking ahead. Obviously, he's the defending champ. He's got a big dinner next week and everything like that. So uh, that is my slight concern. But um, he's going to be. I mean, for the fact that I think he's the best player in this field, and he's really not in ten percent ownership for him. I think it's a really good number. If he does, you know, come to play, if he's looking at this as a tune-up and he really brings his game. I really think he can win this tournament. I so agree that with my that. first pick. I now have to kind of budget out the rest of my squad. Um, so I'm going to kind of scroll down more to the mid-tier range, and I'm fighting the urge not to do this because the guy I'm going to take is very much so a match play specialist, and we're coming off a match play tournament, so it's a little weird to take him right now. But I'm going to take Ian Poulter. I think Ian Poulter – um, is a guy who I can get in the 7K range, which is a good value, um, who, you know, I certainly can compete in this field. If he was, you know, priced in the low 8Ks, I don't think I would have batted an eye. I don't love his upside, but I think if Poulter can get me a top 20 with this team, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I, I've i seen a lot of people liking Poulter this week. I think you might be on to something with him. And, and there's another Englishman also, um, which I will say at the end of the show that I found interesting with it. But I think there's a, a couple players down in that range that makes some sense. But um, for me, it really comes down to one, one or two players that I am trying to figure out what to do with. And I really want to pull the trigger on the guy who's more expensive I'm not going to go that route. I do think he makes for a very intriguing GPP target. Um, We can talk about that at the end of the show. I will take what I deem to be the safer route this week. And I will take Siwoo Kim at 9,600. It's another person uh, where the weighted tee to green for me is just much better when I look at it for a course specific nature. So he's seventh in this field for weighted tee to green. A lot of that has to do with that further emphasis that I put on around the green. He's good in the wind. He's really good at some of these weighted par four categories that I looked at. He's fourth overall there. He's seventh in par five birdie or better percentage over my two-year model. And when we just look at what he's done at this course, three top 23s here since 2017, I think he provides me some safety and a little bit of a reduction in ownership, which I do need at this point, because there are guys like Kirk and Woodland that are going to be double the ownership. I think Siwoo Kim is just as likely to find success as they are. And I can get half the ownership with it. Yeah, that's a really interesting pick. I don't think I was going to take Siwoo, but I was definitely considering it. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really clever play. What, what did you mention the ownership on him? He's about 10 to 11%, um, which if we're looking in the $9,000 range, I guess I'll mention him because I mention him every single week. Like the only one that's really less would probably be Jason day. Maybe Tony Finau, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to be one of the more under the radar guys. Fair enough. Um, so I have a question for Steven. So I know Steven is in the chat. I, I Just, it's, it's kind of cheating, but scale of one to 10, with 10 being the worst, how bad was Roy's pra- practice round that you saw today? 10 is the worst. One is the best. Five is like, eh, it, was, it was okay. It was average. Seven is like pretty bad, but correctable. 
I need a one to 10 before I make my next pick with the guy with inside information. And we are waiting. This is bad podcasting. It's, it's decent video. All right. So as he thinks of that, I'm debating between two guys. One is obviously Rory. And the other is a guy that everybody likes. A lot of people like this week, but I think I kind of want to fade. So, okay. Seven and a half is his answer, which is pretty bad, but it's not like a complete disaster. It's not like he was hitting it backwards. All right, I'm just going to like, I have like, listen, I- I'm going to put this lineup in for the show. I like this pick. I'm going to take Roy McElroy. I mean, I-, I don't think I really need to mention like how well he grades out, but obviously like, you know, some of the key metrics, listen, last 24 rounds on approach, it hasn't been really great. But if you look at the last 12 rounds, it's actually improved quite a bit. He's still kind of lacking what, what I would want on approach. But strokes gain par five, which is, of course is a key metric. He's he's number one here last 24 rounds. Uh, let's see, last 12 rounds, he's number nine. Um, good drives, getting it in the fairway. Not great. Around the green is great. DK points is great. Driving distance is great. Strokes gained off the tee is great. Tee to green is great. So there's definitely some some flaws in the game here. And obviously, if the practice rounds aren't going well, this doesn't bode well for me. I just like the upside with the team that I've put together so far. So I want to ride that upside and just go ahead and take the most expensive guy, even at a risk. I mean, I definitely – there's definitely a little risk, but I, I I love the pick. I mean, Rory, I mean, in terms of pedigree, in terms of potential, you know, him and Hideki, are, I think, are heads and shoulders above everyone else. So you're getting a guy – because you have, you have to remember – this isn't your typical tournament, right? There's a big drop off after the first, you know, six to ten guys. So right. you're getting someone who's really has a ton of upside. If he plays well, right? Obviously, there's that downside as well. But if he plays well, um, he can obviously be one of the guys that can definitely win this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say anything negative other than what Steven saw firsthand, which I guess is maybe the most negative thing that of anything that we can talk about. But yeah, I mean, if you run a model, Rory's going to be either the favorite or the second favorite, however it is. So you're getting the best golfer in the field over a long-term sample size. Right. All right. So we are on the audience. Oh, I, I'm not even looking. Okay, so we okay. So Courtney has nominated Mav McNeely. I do want to point out that was the other guy I was considering. Um, I just wasn't super impressed with what I had been seeing as of, as of late, as it relates to his price and his popular, his uh, popularity, but uh, Matt McNeely is definitely one of the two picks that he's been properly seconded by Courtney and then Steven, but audience, we need one more uh, for this round. We need one more. What's their average price remaining, Joel? You're looking at an 8K per pick average, which means it gives you some flexibility. I mean, if you want to go mm-hmm. high and low, you can do so. Um, if you want to stick to the 8K range, you know, again, you have, you have a lot of options with this 8K per pick average. Yep. Okay, Brendan Steele has been nominated. And he's been playing well, Brendan Steele. It's not a bad pick. It's the one I was considering. His course history here, I believe, is pretty great as well. A lot of different uh, nominations here. Yeah, Martin Laird, Johnny Vegas, who had been nominated previously, probably by Jesse as well. Jesse, thanks for watching the show. Centurion, thanks for watching. Courtney, as usual. Steven... Everybody in here, uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for participating. Thanks for liking or retweeting or whatever whatever you've done uh, on YouTube or Twitter. Okay, we need a second for either Brendan Steele, Martin Laird, or Johnny Vegas. I'll tell you, I was actually considering Martin Laird. Vegas hasn't been on my radar. As I'm waiting for 
nominations. Spencer, let me go to you. How are you feeling about Johnny Vegas? He had a pretty good for performance in Punta Cana last week. Obviously, like a pretty good course fit, right? Yeah, I, I think from a GPP perspective, that's the best way to play Jonathan Vegas in this tournament. He's going to be 12.5% owned according to my model right now. But I, I do have a positive upside trajectory for him. I mean, that's something that at least if you're going to pay $8,600, I do think you want some of that potential. But I... Uh, I mean, there's there's a couple guys in that $8,000 range that I might like a little bit more if I'm getting, you know, technical with it. But I, I think Vegas is a fine pick. I mean, I, of your options here, um, one of them I was going to take. I think Vegas is the best player. Uh, Steel was the first nomination. You got to pick someone because your, your time is running out. So I'm going to give you guys five more seconds, and I think the the tie is going to go to the first nomination at Brandon Steele. Steele, it is. Yeah, there we go. Steel it is. We, we had so many different nominations there, including Russell Knox, who I think is really interesting. Joel, do you is Russell Knox on your radar at all this tournament? Same Ru question for you, Spencer. When when he's done, Russell Knox is the type of guy that you know I think I would like a lot in a small tournament or cash game. I think I like he's safe. I just don't like his upside. So if I'm going for a big GPP, I don't think he's the type of guy I want to target because he doesn't get a whole lot of top 10s. But I do think he can make the cut, can maybe get you like a top 30. So if you want to do something smaller and safer, that that, that he would be the play there. Yeah, I, I would give the same answer that Joel gave. Like Vegas would be one of the guys that I think has a little bit more upside. And then a guy a little bit below him, I think, has a little bit more upside too. Yeah, I'm looking at the last 24 rounds with Knox. And it looks really good. But it looks like he's tailed off quite a bit lately. And I'm stalling for a reason because there's a possibility I want to take Knox. But I want to check one thing real quick. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. All right. That doesn't leave me much, right? Somebody do quick math for me. If I take somebody at 8,300 with 7,150 left, Joel, punch that in. Just, just, I just want to see what I have left. I'll, I'm not so. I'll put it in for you. You have 6,000. No. Oh, well, that's actually perfect. Hold on. Oh, that actually is perfect. I'm taking Russell Knox. Guess who I'm going with at a, at a flat 6K? Whoa, hold on. Hold on. He might not be there. There are still more picks, and there's still more people that might be taking a flat uh, big offer. That's true. That's true. I, I thought I had back-to-back -back picks. For, okay, yeah, fair enough. Keep going. And and the reason I say that is because there is a flat 6K offer that I like. That I I think, by the way, I've planned out my next two picks that – you, you'll end up getting them, but I was considering making sure that I left 6K for my last pick so I could get them as well. There is a second guy I could potentially take there, but anyway, let, let's see how it plays out. It might I not be the same guy. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Russell Knox. Uh, thank you, Charlie, for the tip there. I don't normally like steal the pick like that, but I, I had really overlooked him, and uh, that was my fault. So anyway, good job, audience. Okay, Spencer, we're on, we're on you. Um, trying to figure out here because Joel and I are in the same range right now, and that's what's going to make this the most difficult. Um, I don't think this is somebody that Joel would necessarily take, but to me, this is one of the safer options that I can find in this range. The ownership is going to give me a bit of a discount. He's been fine at this tournament in the past with three straight top 50s. Not that anything's been spectacular. And the current form looks pretty good with, if we look at his last five, six tournaments, he's made five cuts there. I'm going to take Troy Merritt at $7,300. All right. Yeah, I, like I, 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 I remember I saw 
I think it was two weeks ago, he was like surprisingly really high owned. He ended up coming up at like 15 or 20%. So, uh, but yeah, Merritt's good. Merritt competes. We are in the same range. So, uh, my first pick is going to be Brian Stewart. Uh, I like Brian Stewart this week. He's He's got the top five here in 2019. He missed the cut last year. It's a mixed bag. His current form is good. Now, you know, I take that with a grain of salt because two of those places are at Puerto Rico and Punta Cana, which are barely PGA tournaments. But he also has a tie for 16 at the Valspar and tied for ninth at the Honda. So he's been competing, uh, you know, consistently over the last month and a half. Um, and his ball striking has been really good. So at 7,200, I really like Brian Stewart here. And my last pick, I'm going to take Martin Laird. Um, I think Martin oh. Laird is a safe pick. Uh, I don't, this is the only budget I have left, uh, but he's made some cuts here. Um, he's playing, you know, well for my options, right? I mean, in his last, I mean, he missed his last two cuts, but uh, at this tournament, he's made his last five cuts and you know, 30, 36, 11, 18. So he's done pretty well here. Um, I like his current ball striking. So, Again, at this point, my last pick in the mid seven K range, I got to take a shot on somebody, so I feel good with it being. Uh, yeah, Laird was a guy I was thinking about picking this this entire show, and you know, one thing I, I should point out he he's really burned me the last two times I've played him. Like he's been really bad, and it's because of the putter. There's a lot of guys who are really good ball strikers, especially in this tournament, who just simply can't putt. And Martin Laird's one of those guys. Over the last two tournaments, he's almost lost ten strokes combined just with the putter. With all of that said, though, his history here does give a pretty good indication that he likes to marry the ball striking with at least a decent putter here. I actually went back and looked at his his putting performances over the last five years or so where he's been making cuts and finishing pretty well. He has a lot of, you know, he'll spike one tournament and then he'll like lose three strokes another tournament. But he's the type of guy that should be able to overcome a bad putter. He just hasn't over the last couple of tournaments. With all of that said, though, given the history, I, I, I think Martin Laird is, is a great pick. Yeah, I I do also, unfortunately. Let me ask you this, Joel, and I'm assuming the answer would be no. Was Troy Merritt on your radar whatsoever? No, unfortunately. Yeah, so I should have taken Martin Laird, and then I would have gotten Troy Merritt to come back. That was the way to play this, because this puts me in a very precarious position now, because I kind of just figured I could get Laird, and maybe I shouldn't have figured that, because he's a very popular pick. And uh, this was something that I mentioned on Better Golf today, and I have a top 40 wager on Laird, but... Even though he's missed back-to-back cuts, the ball striking has remained intact for him. He gained four shots of the field at the players off the T-plus approach. He gained 0.9 at the Valspar. As Sia just mentioned, all of that was done by him losing a combined 8.7 shots with his flat stick. The course history looks really good here. I I don't know. Like I, I think that that's the ownership is the only concern I had. I was trying to keep some of my options open, but... By keeping the options open, I kind of feel like at this point now, I don't have any options. So I'm going to be leaving a lot of money on the table. So just to run through some of these golfers, um, I could consider Doug Gim. I don't think I can take him anymore. I don't think he's ever made a cut for me one time. That's not a reason I, not to take a guy, but... I think he's sneaky this tournament. I, do I think too. he's sneaky. Yeah. I, I do also. I'm not going to take him um, just because I don't know how many times I can get burned on this show by taking him. I think C.T. Pan is interesting. Now, he's a person that has not found any success at this tournament. I think there's some volatility with him. And there's some volatility with the other guy that I'm kind of considering too. But I guess I'm going to leave $900 on the table and go with the golfer that has the most upside for me of anybody other than Doug Gim who's left. 
and that would be Matt Jones at 7,000. So I don't know. I mean, that's not necessarily the route I was looking to go to start this week. The recent form does not look good. I mean, he has, what is that? Four missed cuts in his past seven tournaments. But the one thing I really like about Matt Jones is the weighted tee to green is going to look good because the short game is spectacular. He's third in this field in strokes gain around the green. And he's also inside the top 15 in par five birdie or better percentage. It's a guy that I'm going to take a shot on. If it doesn't hit, then, you know, obviously it's going to ruin the lineup a little bit, but only going to be about three or 4% owned. And I do think he has upside to compete. And if he can give me a random top 10, all of a sudden this lineup starts forming really nicely. Yeah. That's a strong pick. That's a, I mean, you know, Matt Jones is a previous winner here. I, like in terms of getting your game back, and it's interesting that so far, and I'm looking to see how much the audience has left. I mean, they, they could take this guy. I'm not really, you know, it, they can decide to take him or not. But like Charlie Hoffman's a guy that I think is is a guy everybody's sort of talking about. Like, are, are we playing Charlie Hoffman this week? And obviously we've decided not to play him. But Matt Jones is a guy who's had success, a very good success on this course. And in terms of it being a get right spot, I think you could make the same argument for Jordan Spieth. One here yes. last year was 30th the year before. He's going through some swing issues right now, but this is absolutely a venue. And and I'm I'm going to put my article on windailysports.com um, sometime after this show. My initial picks article arriving a little late, but with all of that said, I, I kind of like Jordan Spieth as a pivot in in the in the the, the top end range because uh, I think this is a, a potential get right spot for him. With all that said, it's my pick, right? Yes. 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 So I'm going to go with the guy that. Um, legitimately was mispriced by DraftKings. But like this to me, and, and by the way, this guy might not make the cut. He's not like outstanding. But if you look at what he's done lately, whether you're looking at finishing positions or metrics, okay, so this would, would be his KFT event, which was uh, the Louisiana Open. He was second. It's pretty good. Okay, so Puerto Rico Open 38th. These are all in a row, tied 38th. Uh, the Honda Classic tied for 55th. Uh, another KFT event, tied 17th, and then a bunch of cuts before that. He's coming in with pretty good form, though. Off the tee is, you know, a little below average. Approach, pretty good. Short game, pretty good. Not great. But he's not a 6,000 price. That's the point. He should be 6,600, 6,500, but not 6,000. Maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe he misses the cut anyway. But I know I'm getting value just like I did with guys like Mito Pereira and Matthew Naismith. Happy to take a chance in this tournament. Yeah, you got it, Joel. I didn't even have to say his name. Did I say his name or did you just put that in there? I, I got you. Oh, okay, yeah. Peter Peter Uline. 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 Um, yeah, that's my pick. Again, I'm going to try to take advantage of the misprice. It allows me to do a lot of stuff up top. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. For the record, Russell Knox, the reason he wasn't on my radar initially is because the the two times he's been here the last five years, and, and, I, and I missed this when I was actually making the pick, but he missed the cut both times going back, however, and he's a bad putter. Okay. So that's just the reality of it. But if you go back to the last time he missed the cut last year, he lost almost four strokes putting. He was great in the ball striking department. He was pretty good around the green too. So you kind of have to hope and pray for a decent putter and, you know, Russell Knox can really kind of rise up the rankings. Russell Knox is so difficult to get correct. The numbers always look good when you run a model yeah. and then he, you know, randomly misses a cut out of nowhere where you don't see it coming. So I always have a hard time going to him. And then just on the Jordan Spieth situation, I think Spieth, DeChambeau, Finau, I think all three of those guys are interesting GPP plays this week where um, even DeChambeau at 28 to one to win this tournament, we can get into that in a second. If he was healthy, which is something that we don't know, like how in rhythm he actually is, 
28 to one's a really good price. He would have been a 12 to one golfer in this field. In this yeah. field, especially, right? Because in this field, yes. I look at this field and I, I, I'm personally looking at 12 guys that I think can really win it. So maybe 15 at most. So, and when I really shrink it to that, right now, you start looking at that number for a guy with his pedigree. It's pretty interesting. I'm going to include Connors into this mix, but Connors, Rory, Hideki, we can say those are three of the top guys. When we're looking for upside other than that, it's Spieth and DeChambeau. And I think those are the two guys that go the most overlooked in, in this section. So I'm fine taking shots with them. I think that they're decent prices, really good ownership percentages. And I think the upside, if they put it together, they can definitely win the tournament. I like it. I like it. Audience, it looks like your pick is in and it's by a landslide. Yep. Uh, you're going with Charlie Huffman. It's an interesting pick. I mean, it's 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 risky because I'm not playing often this week because I'm scared by what I've seen recently. I don't think he's healthy. He's been he's been some really he's really fallen apart on some days and just completely, you know, not can't even break 80. Um, but if there's a get right spot for him, it's this one, right? This is a course he, he really likes. The price is like, I mean, if he w- wasn't in such bad current form, this would be a complete steal of a price for him in this course. So you know, I definitely see the upside and what you like about him. It's a risk you got to take, and that's how you win big tournaments. If it comes through with this risk, then uh, then that's how you cash. Yeah, and I, and I think they've done a really interesting thing. They've got a lot of guys that aren't necessarily in the greatest form, but have really good course history here. Jimmy Walker. I mean, Jimmy Walker's not in terrible form actually, but for you know, that's a lower tier golfer, obviously. But guys like Walker, guys like Hoffman. Brandon Steele has okay uh, history here as well. Matt McNeely has no history here. Of course, Chris Kirk has great history here. So they've got a lot of like this. It's a really good science experiment or a, like golf experiment, DFS experiment. We do this all the time where we're like, all right, let's isolate a couple players and look back and see, was it course history or was it recent history? And usually course history ends up, you know, trumping a recent history when, when it comes to stuff like this. So we'll see if it plays out. Yeah, I'm somebody that doesn't put enough uh... – I guess, credibility into some of the course history metrics. Like I have it for 10% of my model this week. It'll vary from week to week, but I'm not a course history buffer at the end of the day, but I agree with what you just said, Sia, that you see the same guys continually play well at these tournaments over and over again. And there's something that has to be said about that. Yeah. And for the record, Steven, at the, at the top of the show, I probably should have mentioned this when I was talking about the other inside info he was giving out, but he saw Charlie Hoffman on the range today and he, and he looked, again, it's not like a diagnosis, but Steven said he looks perfectly healthy and he said it again just a, just a moment ago. So again, that doesn't mean he's perfectly healthy, but it means by all accounts, visually, he's looking perfectly healthy and he's obviously in this tournament. So, um, you know, we saw with instances with other golfers who have withdrawn or, or not been able to make the tournament. A lot of times we see them maybe grabbing at something or, you know, there's something nagging from the tournament before that we can kind of tell something was going on. doesn't look to be the case with Charlie Hoffman. And the other thing with Charlie Hoffman too, is it's not just a course history thing. Now, both of these things go into, you know, together with it, but maybe this is why the course history is so good from a statistical perspective. He's 16th for me in weighted T to green. That's nearly 30 spots better than expectation level for him. He's inside the top 15 at TPC courses in windy conditions. He's good on par threes. He's good on the overall weighted par fours. There's a lot to like about him. Like not only is he finding success at this tournament, he's also doing it in a way that seems like he should be able to replicate it from a statistical perspective. I like the pick. I think it's very boom or bust, but at six, 7% ownership, there is upside that he can compete and give you a top 10. And, you know, at at 6%, that really changes the trajectory of your lineup. 
Absolutely. I love it. That is a wrap for the draft. I think we have some good competitive rosters. Take a look at the screen. Drop in the chat. Let us know which team you like the most. Give us your vote. But before we move on, don't forget, while you're doing it, feel free to hit the like, the like button. Give us a follow. Um, it does go a long way, so be sure to do so. And we got one more for you before we wrap up, and that is the betting market. We're going to look at some outrights. We're going to look at our first-round leaders before we wrap up today. And we will. We'll start in the outright market. Spence, why don't you kick us off? Who do you like for outrights this week? So I have a lot of names. I'm taking a lot of deeper shots in this tournament. I will just mention a couple on here. You can get the full list at Better Golf Pod. Uh, I go through and explain why I like each one. One of the players I already mentioned, Bryson DeChambeau at 28 to 1. I will give you KH Lee at 80 to 1. And let's do Martin Laird at 100 to 1 because there's a lot of discussion around him this tournament. But uh, I agree with Joel to an extent that I think that the top of the board is much better than the bottom, but that doesn't mean that there's not players that you can take a chance on. And maybe they're better top 40 wagers or placement wager bets, but I think there's a lot of guys that can find success and really on Sunday, get me into contention and let's see what happens from there. I love it. I love, love it. it. See, how about you? Who are you looking at in the outright market? Yeah, I got one of those guys. Um, I got Adam Hadwin at 40 to one. Uh, you might be able to get a better number somewhere else. That's 40 to one on DraftKings. Um, Mito at 60 to one. Sahith Thagala, by the way, Sahith. I, I um, am on him also. I will double down on that one. Fair enough. Sahith, come on to the show. Uh, he was super cool and interacting with our, our video tweet a little while back. Uh, ended up following a few of us. Uh, Sahith, you got to come on the show. Okay. Uh, Matthew Naismith and, and Martin Laird at 100 to 1. So those are the five. Adam Hadwin, Mito Pereira, Sahith Thagala, and then at 100 to 1, Matthew Naismith and Martin Laird. I love it. Now, I'm going to pull my back out, swinging for the fences on, on my first one at 200 to 1. I like Adams Fenson. It's, listen, it, it's a long shot, but we've seen him like competing. It. He's a really good ball striker. If he makes some putts this week, I think that 200 number is just a really big number. Um, coming down a little bit, I also like uh, at 100 and where is it? I think it's 110 to 1. I just got to find it. You know, it's interesting to see. Like, you look at the odds of all these players, I think CM made a good point. With Peter Uli, I mean, he's 100 to 1. There's probably 30 to 40, maybe more golfers behind him in terms of odds. So you're getting a minimum price. Listen, he can still miss the cut, but minimum price is a, you know, feels like a good a good price there. Um, in terms of continuing to swing for the fences, Bo Hostler at 140 to 1, Brian Stewart at 130 to 1. And then my actual bet to win the tournament, I'll have some fun with. And uh, the controversial pick, it'll be Tony Finau at 40 to 1. Let's say he puts together a week, you know, he has enough upside. Um, you know, that would be my, my more realistic option. I like the female pick, and uh, I'm also on Svensson. And the other player that I will just throw out there, my model really liked him this week. It's limited data. Guido Migliozzi, 350 to 1. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm actually going to play that because that number is incredible. Even, even if it was 250 to 1. Even 200 to 1. I mean, Guido's been terrible, but, like, we know he has some yeah. upside. Like, yeah. legit upside. So, That's interesting. 350 is a huge number. Wow. It's a gigantic uh, number. And like 350 in this pool, like it's like one thing if it was like a major with all the guys right. in the way, but like this pool, like anyone can kind of win. A couple of the top guys don't, don't get there. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, now to lock it up where we put all our money, literally emptying the bank account because Sia is insane and hasn't missed a first round leader 
in the calendar year. I don't think it's a little hit every single one. Uh, well, actually, at this point, the new standard is that we'll see a hit multiple within the same week because we only get to one it's kind of a disappointment so he needs to hit two at least for it to be a success but before we go there Spencer you're going to give us any or we're just going to give this whole thing to see it for now I mean I'm going to defer my time to him every single time I do the only player that I will mention is I don't even know what Charlie Hoffman's number is but I do think he's an intriguing person to consider for a first round leader fair enough um but I don't even know his odds see it can tell me who's going to be the first round leader and we'll go from there I think that's fair. I have one that I'm going to give. Uh, I think it's my the one I'm looking at is J.J. Spawn. I really like him. He's just been playing well. I don't think he's going to give you four rounds, but I think he can give you one. So at 80 to one, I, I like J.J. Spawn. But Sia, please enlighten us. How are we making money this week? Yeah, I like J.J. Spawn a lot as well. And in fact, if I didn't go the Knox route, which I really wasn't going to go, it's just that Charlie sort of reminded me he was in the pool. Um, I was going to take J.J. Spawn and then somebody in that like the mid-7K range. So uh, I definitely um, think he's a value both in the betting and the uh, and the DFS market. Okay, so I'll give you five first-round leaders uh, like normal. Let's go Adam Hadwin again at 50 to 1. We're going to go Patton Kazire at 55 to 1. Mito Pereira at 60 to one doc Redman at 130 to one and your breaking news. The guy that is going to be your first round leader on Thursday at the Valero Texas open when it's all said and done after day one, it's none other than at 100 to one Matthew Naismith. You're welcome everybody good news here so i don't exactly know what the weather report is steven's going to be on that because he lives there he's going to be on that in discord for us tomorrow maybe uh, in his article as well but just so you know four out of five of those guys have morning tea times the only one that doesn't is mito Pereira, who has has a tea time right on um, between 12 and one o'clock everybody else is somewhere 7 a.m to like 8 30 a.m in the morning so to the extent that ends up being an advantage which it typically is a slight advantage uh, that just FYI, four out of those five guys are in the morning. But yeah, Matthew Naismith is the breaking news. But go ahead and sprinkle on everybody. Um, equal opportunity. We know the breaking news doesn't always hit. But this time, it's obviously hitting, right, Joel? No, it's not even a I mean, at this point, if you every week this year, you've regretted not mortgaging your house and putting it all <laughs> in the first round leader. Yeah. Just remember that it's probably going to happen again this week. So do that information as you please. Indeed. Well, that's a wrap for this evening. Good luck this week. And you don't forget, you're going to want to tune in next week because next week's the Masters and it's going to be a lot of money to be made and you're going to have a lot of it after you've hit all your first round leaders bets this week to carry over to next. So, uh, see, did I miss anything? Uh, other than, hey, well, we got Tiger Talk. It's back. So that's pretty cool. But best wishes to everybody at the Valero and sports, sports, sports.